but there was a point where I got sick of people telling me that you're already enlightened. That just became so boring to hear because it certainly didn't feel like it. You know, I'm, like, I'm having suicidal thoughts. That can't be enlightenment. Hello, everyone. That was a very short extract of a talk given by mindfulness teacher and previous guest on this podcast, Mike Cooley, at the Mindful Man Festival in 2018. Mike was talking about non-duality and some of the difficulties and paradoxes he'd wrestled with in coming to understand and embody it. In particular, how do we reconcile this sense that everything's perfect just as it is with our deep desire to make things better? Also speaking at the conference was yoga teacher Nathan Godolphin, and the three of us got chatting along these lines. So we got together to record a conversation on this theme I started off just by reading that quote from Mike's talk to the guys and seeing how they'd respond. And here's Nathan getting the ball rolling. Wow. That's yeah. That, I was hoping that this, this conversation would be something along those lines for the very reason that that, that particular line of telling people they're already enlightened very, feels very dangerous to me. It feels very dangerous to me because if that's not someone's experiential nature or the, the nature of how they are experiencing the world, then there's a disjunct and, and enlightenment is nothing but a thought in that, in that instance. It's the thought of I'm enlightened it's, and I, and adopting a thought rather than being with the innate present experience of the feeling of being enlightened, which, in a lot of non-duality circles, in a lot, a lot of kind of non-duality discussion, there's almost this idea that you don't need to do anything, don't need to, don't need to even try to look because you're already there. And I think if you're not already there, yeah, it's a cause of pain when you're told that, and it's, it's, it compounds the pain of not, of not, of not knowing, of not seeing, of not of not being in that space. Mm. Mm. Mike, it's your quote. I said I was going to pull a quote out. I didn't tell you which one. What, what do you make of it in Nathan's thoughts on it? Yeah, I would say for, for my experience anyway, going, for, going over about 10 years with non-dual teachers, some of them extreme in their in their uh, there's nothing to do approach which was very attractive to me because I did have the intuition that surely this is mm, this is my own nature you know so I, I, I intellectually I completely agreed of course um, but it just got to that stage where the not getting it even though I apparently was it was so just I mean, beyond frustrating, as I said, it led me into a kind of breakdown, suicidal depression. Um, although I must say this, and I think I've mentioned this before, but the suicidal thoughts wasn't because I hated myself. On some level, I knew I was what I was seeking. Mm -hmm. But it was like, I, it was my mind that I wanted to kill. You know, I, I kind of knew that the lens I was looking through was the mind and I didn't know how to stop looking through the mind. And that was the stuckness. That was the, the, the suicidal urge was to kill off this 
trapped, you know, mind that wanted to be someone and, and be something. And mm. um, but it just got to the stage where, you know, if I heard one more person say to me, "Well, you're already enlightened." I mean, it just. I said maybe that's a phase where you start to almost rage against or attack or 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 move against the the teaching that kind of brought you forward. Mm. And actually, with hindsight, I can see that actually, in a positive sense, it led me into the wilderness because I had to learn how to somehow just stand on my own two feet within that, within that um, doubt. And there's a, there's a Zen quote by, I think it's Mumon or someone, and he says something like, you know, it, it's a bit like you have a red hot ball in your mouth. You can't swallow it. You can't spit it out. Like, what do you do? Mm. And it was a bit like that, you know, I didn't know what, what could I do? Mm. Apparently it's here and yet I don't know it's here. Mm. And in that kind of, what do you do? Mm. So, um, so that, that's what it led me to. It was a, a genuine crisis. And the positive spin could be that, okay, well, without that genuine crisis, I wouldn't have discovered it in my own way, uh, on my own two feet. But I totally agree with Nathan that I've been around teachers who have that message. Mm. And then viewing the people that take on that message, their, act, their actions are far from enlightened is very greedy very selfish because they they think oh well this i am enlightened i can go off and drink and take drugs and abuse people because it's all just part of the play isn't it mm. <laughs> and i'm like i know surely mm. not mm. Mm. and and yeah and totally feeling those words and also in the back of my mind i'm thinking as we all know that that message of hardline non-duality is is a big uh shake up for people which is sometimes necessary so although a lot of the teachers don't provide the the well don't highlight the necessity of the of the duality in in reaching in growing and learning and developing in order to unwind and unfold into this non-dual understanding although they don't highlight that duality maybe for some people that's what's needed they need a complete removal from the dualistic space that they're they're working in and they they need this even if even if it can't quite be related to it at first it's like a it's it's something totally different which there's a you know like a seed a seed of a seed of what is real and there's an, an intuitive sense that it is real but the the mind hasn't quite caught up with it hasn't quite aligned with it hasn't quite allowed it to come through so yes. i found it i'm probably the most defensive of the kind of neo-advaita there's nothing to do position in some ways so i found it immensely helpful because i came from a place of i think at the very initial point i had that sense of this being something very free and easy and natural and then i lost that and it became something arduous and strenuous you had to strive for potentially over years and then years became potentially lifetimes you know um, but i was going to retain it and my life became this rolling gurgit exercise of continuously paying attention to the moment at all times and after about three years of this i think i had the sense that i'd taken all my problems and replaced them with one big problem of how to get this enlightenment thing right and if i'm no better off i have, to, I have lots of little problems now i've got one big problem it's just and they're about the same weight if you balance them and 
I think I started to notice the contradiction of like, well, hang on, I'm trying to be with what is, but in a sense, I'm trying to get something, and that's a big. I'm always trying to get away from what is, and when I feel negative, you know, quote unquote negative emotions in the body, I want to go get rid of that one, get rid of that. But I've never really paid attention to what they are. And then I come across sentiments from um, Alan Watts uh, talking about his drinking and the quivering mess within him that he tried to reject to be a Superman. And then realizing that the quivering mess was part of this, this play, this dream too. And of course, then I think the big influence was um, Tony Parsons, right? Who's a big influence. I would say on a lot of people who go into this neo advisor, there's nothing to do kind of view. So for me, it was, um, it was a big release and I felt a lot better after starting to see the world that way. And it resolved a lot of contradictions for me about what it meant to, what does it even mean to be in the moment? So it, it, it was a real, it was a process of deconstructing a lot of illusions. That I very quickly and firmly built up in the years prior to that, but then you're left with the feelings of in that quote of, um, well, <laughs> but I still want change, right? Like, I don't want to be, uh, you know, I can feel that my psychology is kind of messed up in some ways and, and other factors. And I don't, I want to be different. I want life to progress. I want things to get better and not worse. I want both individually and, you know, I'd like the world to get better and not worse. So I, I do have this craving for change. And now I'm not sure how to reconcile that with my sense of everything's good as it is. I wondered, Nate, did you, was it something you personally, um, did you wrestle with these kind of ideas yourself? Um, well, I'm glad you asked me that because I wanted to come in on what you, what you just said. And the way I reconcile it is to acknowledge that the non-dual is the ultimate truth, the ultimate reality. And the, as we've talked about the, before, the duality is the kind of the, the fizzing and fuzzing and manifesting and changing and shifting shape within that or the shape of that. And I like to imagine it as a cross. So you have like the, the non-dual, bear with me, because it, we can go off into symbols and symbols can feel like they're disconnected from reality. But for me, it helps tune into a reality where we have a, a non-dual aspect and a, a dualistic aspect. So for me, there's this verticality of connection to spirit um, and earth. And uh, this to me is the, the space of presence where we can just, wherever we are, at whatever time, whatever space, we can be with what is. You know, it doesn't, it's that, that perennial practice of being with what is. And that, that connecting to presence is the non, connecting to the, the non-dual essence as far as I'm concerned and then we have the world the world play which is the horizontal and the dualistic and the relational rather than the immediately present and whole all at once so the relational and separate we've got the whole the non-dual and we've got the uh relational the separate the experiential and they, they abound together at the center. So wherever we are within the time-space play, whatever changes we're wanting to make, or I think we need to acknowledge that and, and respect that and know that we are relational beings growing in a relational world. Um, and yet remember that the context of that is always, wherever you are, the, the, 
the vertical axis, the the essence of life coming down into manifestation here. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Does that does that is that? It, it, it makes, makes sense to me, Mike. It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, mm. And and, and the, you know, yeah, the point at which the cross kind of uh, meets yeah. the center point is is the present moment, as you say. That's where everything's here, yeah. both the verticality of the essence and the apparent play, the timeline. Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. So, and that and that cross is wherever we are. That cross is wherever we are. <laughs> you bear your you bear your cross. Exactly. You exactly. Bear your own cross. Yeah. And this is where the richness of the knowledge of religions comes into its own, you know, into its, into its majesty. But I think in, this, in all this conversation, it depends on each individual and where they are at in their journey as to what relates to them and what doesn't. So I wanted to say that um, from the conversation so far, it's almost like we're coming from a point of of searching and encountering uh, non-dual teachings and, and how do we relate to those non-dual teachings in our, in our search. But for me, I didn't actually encounter what might be the, the label of non-duality. I didn't encounter it before actually feeling it. And so, and so encountering that label is almost like, oh, well, how does what I have discovered fit into this thing called non-duality rather than the other way of there is this thing called non-duality. Now, how do I get there from it? It's, you see what I mean? It's like, yeah, a, yeah. and so, and I think our perspectives about what teachings are useful and what teachings are not are very much dependent on the conditions of our own journey and the, the what we're moving from, what we're moving towards is, and so in, in this discussion, just the idea that just to highlight, just to reiterate that all paths are valid, you know, all, all paths are valid. And um, although we connect individually to a certain path, part of the beauty of this experience is that there are so many paths towards this understanding and of this understanding. And I guess that's, we're, we're all coming with three different perspectives here, three different all sharing the same awareness and yet totally different uh, frameworks of meeting it. And this is quite incredible, I find. Yeah. And what I was going to say, you know, um, first, just a few, if you don't mind, just a few points there that just resonated with me was, you know, many people like yourself experience and i think we all i think as humans we experience tastes of the non-dual i mean that's a rubbish word it makes it sound so different and mystical it's just life mm. uh, experience th without the lens of being a little person you yeah. know it's just life pouring in by itself mm. um anyway so we have little tastes and and so it's interesting that when you discovered not non-duality the the framework it's mm. like god is that is that what I've experienced? Mm -hmm. And then for other people, well, this is myself included, you have a big dollop of non-duality and then there can be moments afterwards, years later, where you're like, oh, is this still non-duality? Mm -hmm. Is this still, can this be, is this part of what I've understood? Or is this other? Is this like, you know, is this a barrier? Mm -hmm. So there's that kind of integration process where you start realizing that, you know, they say everything is, 
Everything is part of it. But that means literally everything. Mm. You know, I mean, everything that's going to pop up, good, bad, ugly, is it. And you say about Alan Watson and the messiness inside the, the quivering mess, the quivering mess, you know? Uh, it, so that, that's kind of bigger. Oh, where you go, oh, yeah, everything's it. But you've not really encountered everything yet. Mm. You know, there'll be parts that bubble up that you think, surely not. Mm. And yet, can you can your understanding become big enough to understand that even this is mm-hmm. it too? So how did you resolve that within yourself? Because you're the starting quotation mark, you're at a place where you have this intellectual sense that everything is it, right? And you're already there. Uh, but the stuff that you're experiencing, you say, well, this can't be it. But everything's it, but this can't be it. And did you resolve that within a kind of, a non-dual framework within like a contradiction that left the philosophy in place or did you, would you say there was something insufficient about that what was the resolution for you well i, I I'll, and I'll just sum it up i mean it's a bit of a bizarre paradox for me in that it just led me to a breakdown you know which the positive spin could be that's the point i describe it as a colla- like a, a, a collapse um and i retreated if you like into dualism which just which was um therapy counseling i realized that uh my my insight was i had these flashes of non-dual experience uh mini awakenings but they were terrifying always terrifying and i just got the sense that i wasn't i i didn't have the courage or the familiarity to just let that come through and open up and overtake me and it, I got the intuition that it just tied into a lot of stuff in my life that I hadn't dealt with you know so and I realized that, that had to be dealt with on a kind of more personal level not a spiritual teacher who would just tell me there's no mic I, that, I, I'd been through that I needed something more and so I actually went back into therapy and and understood Mike and kind of became Mike I'd spent about a decade trying to be no one. Mm. And this was like coming back into Mike, the person. Mm. And the bizarre twist with that is as soon as I did that, the whole Mike construct fell away. Mm. Um, It was almost like the Mike person was waiting to kind of be fully allowed for it to, for it to, 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 yeah, to, to complete something. Um, so so yeah so that wasn't non-duality at all that was really kind of normal yeah well i mean it's it's really striking i think i can completely relate to it too the idea that by doing essentially the exact opposite of what the spiritual teaching about losing oneself might advise and i know sod that i'm going to embrace the self and then the self falls away and i don't think that's a coincidence you know I, nathan do you have a similar any can you stand or relate to that i just wanted to say that interestingly that isn't necessarily the complete opposite although we might frame it as the complete opposite that including of the of the um the duality in such a accepting way is actually essentially a a non-dual motion if you like you know it's like a to to, to that's it it, nathan thank you Mm. yeah Yeah. Mm. i love that Mm. i never thought of it in in that way you've just Mm. it's clicked you got it yeah Mm. Mm. yeah it's and and what you said mike about um to deal 
resonate with me to deal with one's stuff to deal with one's stuff it's like that that i think when i alluded to the danger of some of these these um i think more than anything there's a beauty to the teachings but depending on how where we are when we relate to them there is the danger and for me the danger is that it is an escape from dealing with things that we need to deal with on a dualistic level because duality is is difficult duality is is uh challenging and if there's a if there's a an easy exit button i.e you don't exist don't worry about it then i think for people in in a lot of suffering it's a it's an easy uh it's an easy root although it's not easy because the suffering still continues as you alluded to yourself it was there in the background you knew the concept but the reality wasn't it wasn't and this is it comes back to direct experiential state i think and and yet when we talk about it as we are today we 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 need to break down these things into words and uh categories for for the understanding it's it's um so I, I want to interject something like again it's kind of positive statement about the this non-dual approach because after embracing this perspective this more embracing things as it is kind of perspective um it'd be two or three years after that i became depressed Right, which was a very it was a big shock to me because it was the complete opposite of the trajectory my life had been taking to that point. I was like, oh, didn't expect this. And the, it, the depression did come as a consequence, not of that, not of the kind of narrow specific philosophy we're discussing now, but as a consequence of looking within, looking within, and looking within, and then not finding some blindingly beautiful light within, but rather just this murky sense of emptiness. It's like, oh, this is what I am when I when I let go of all the things I've told myself about the beauty and the love of God or whatever, I don't see any of that. I just see blackness. And that depression emerged from that then. It was a natural consequence of it. And I have to say that, like, having that non-dual sense of this too, of being able to step back almost, and well, on one pole to be absorbed in that, I go, oh, it's awful. But to be also able to step back and say, yeah, but it's amazing because it's this great grand drama of life playing out. It in includes these incredible highs and lows. And to have that perspective too, that was, um, that put a completely different spin on it. Okay. And it didn't make it go away. Right. It's not like I accepted it and then suddenly it resolved. It was like it was still there, but I had a different perspective on it. Um, so then I was left to wrestle with, well, how, how can this approach be sufficient to make it go away? Because I'm, I can't, I'm embracing it as it is, but I also want it to go away. I also I want it to change, transform, become something new. Um, so I can relate to the people you're describing there, Nathan, and saying like, well, this is, this is great too. Because if you'd asked me at the time, and if you'd have like advised me to, like I'm not saying you'd have done this, but if someone had advised me to like, okay, if you like get out of bed 10 minutes earlier and do some, you know, push-ups while standing on your head and take vitamin C and, um, you know, do this chanting exercise of a day, 
that will really help your depression. I probably wouldn't have been interested, right? Because I, I would say, well, but why would I try and make it go away? Because like it is as it is. And that, that was a contradiction that was, um, I was kind of stuck with in some ways. It was, it was good. And I was also stuck with it because what do I do? And I, I think I can relate into what you're saying, Mike, about I probably did embrace some more dualistic approaches at times. And that ultimately led to a non-dual insight into the transition in the, because I did transition out of it very abruptly, um, like in one day after a year and a half. And it, it came as a consequence, I feel, of more fully understanding non-dualism. Of, I was being with it, but I was only being like this much with it, only 70% with it. And then I, I pull away and go, I've seen enough of that now. It's all this darkness within. Um, there's nowhere to go with that. And it was when I, I fully embraced it, fully submerged into what is this, into full and absolute fascination with this darkness. And it was, I'm describing it as a sense of darkness. Other people might have, you know, described it as um, trauma or anxiety or depression or whatever it is that's your particular shadow, right? To, to fully emerge in that, that's when it transformed because that's when it revealed its essential nature. And oh, my, my inner being isn't just this black void. It's this infinite full void it's you know it's that's reimagining this re-experiencing re of the void um and that shifts it so for me the the non-dual philosophy it's not i don't see it as contradictory um but when i encounter people who are it, it seems to also be like what you're saying Nathan, is it can be like a hiding place of like i'm scared of myself i don't want to confront my issues so i'll say everything's okay because it's non-dual and I think I encounter that sometimes with people. I, I think the reason I am acutely aware of that is because there's a danger of it happening in myself. So as as I as you as you feel the, the draw of that that ultimate reality and you, you feel the, the the peace of it, then there's you know there's What am I trying to say? I think what Mike said about. Can I start with a few comments about about what you said, Richard? First, actually, the the idea about fully embracing, like it's beautiful, isn't it? This fully embracing, and we can fully embrace. In the past, I thought I fully embraced it, and then suffering arises again and then it's that's an indication there's something i haven't fully embraced and i think for me the thing that i didn't fully embrace or i still haven't fully embraced is the experience of nathan and so i i feel like i personally have a tendency to be easily drawn out of that into into a spiritual perspective not as a um an illusion but as essentially as the greater truth the greater truth of love but the reason i highlight that danger is because i feel i feel it's a it's a delicate path to to tread and i don't want to lose myself to a spiritual ideal I don't want to lose the experience of, of Nathan. So I feel like sometimes I feel like I haven't got it at all because why would I be so set on wanting to experience Nathan? But then I think, well, maybe I've 
really got it because if you if you see that if you see the, the truth of all this you realize that that non-duality is happening through us it is happening through us and our our individual lives are hugely valuable and something you said richard resonated with me about the uh like stepping back to see it's all beautiful but then on the experiential level there can be suffering and this to me is the importance again of uniting a duality with non-duality because can we simultaneously accept that it is all it's all it's all allowed it's all allowed and yet can we simultaneously make changes within within what's all allowed can we simultaneously wholly accept and wholly take responsibility individually for the trajectory of our own apparently individual lives you know it's like this this beautiful paradox of whole acceptance and total dedication to the play and it's it's to me those things are whole acceptance of of oneness and total dedication to the play and those things might sound contradictory but i think they're actually not i think they're um two sides of the the one coin yeah 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 and it was it was just what what you said richard which about the the juxtaposition of of suffering and yet expanse it's like this if mentally it's it can cause a rift can't it it can cause a it's like there's this and there's that but can can the mind go beyond its dualistic structure and embrace again fully embrace like allow for both aspects of our sure of our sure. life I, I think there is something paradoxical right because i mean i was i was doing a session with um someone just a few weeks ago and we had, we had this specific conversation about because most people aren't looking at things this way most people are putting too much effort into trying to get over their problems right they're not going oh i have no problems <laughs> that's not their problem um so i had this conversation for many times about like dropping that search to transcend one's problems and just hey just be with them feel what they are for a moment. like be okay, be okay with things as they are what does that feel like and in some ways that can be a more profound way for transformation to come about um but at the end i did say like look i don't want to make a kind of absolutism about this right we're humans and we snap back into an, an outlook of wanting things to be different to how they are right and then moving away from that and embracing things as they are and it does seem like there are there are two poles seemingly contradictory maybe not ultimately contradictory there but uh, we don't go through life looking at every situation and going oh it's wonderful as it is and mm. Mm. And and again, I think it comes back to our own particular um, emphasis at the time. So if we are uh, overemphasizing um, that we have no problems, maybe we need to recognize that we have some. If we're overemphasizing that we have lots, maybe we need to recognize that we have none. It's it's uh, you see what I mean. It's like if we're entrenched in duality, we need to recognize non-duality. If we're somehow taken by this non-dualistic or we or 
emptiness or light or whatever it is we need to perhaps come back into the into the into the duality so again i think it's contextual in terms of where each individual is and what is is needed and like you say we're having this sort of isolated conversation not isolated because this this is happening everywhere but in terms of if this was happening in a coffee shop right now i'm sure it wouldn't be understood by a lot of people because or wouldn't be just a i think hmm we get kicked out of the coffee shop. That's what you're trying well, to say. That, yeah, that's a pretty much, pretty much. And, and that indicates that actually in that situation, maybe the coffee shop could be a bit more accommodating to non-duality, but then maybe non-duality could also be a bit more accommodating to the coffee shop, you know? And it's, it's this constant balance. I think that's what it comes back to a lot of the time. Like we have this tendency absolutism i think you said richard there's we have this tendency we can be absolutely dualistic absolutely if that's a possible thing absolutely non-dual and we can we can find harmony somewhere perhaps that middle way that sort of taoist flow who knows the the and again if we're in if that's the solution what what words can contribute to that they can provide an inroad to that but ultimately it's experiential isn't it It always comes back to this this we are the ground where this is happening we are we are the journey and for the for as long as we're journeying we need to respect the journey for as long as we feel we're in duality we need to respect the duality um and i think it we it's at our peril if we don't because all the teachers that are essentially saying you don't need to do anything they've done a lot of things to get to that generally generally they've done a lot of things to get to that, that state of being where those words are true um so i think yeah state of being like is primary is is primary to how we relate to this stuff do you encounter this with people you work with, Mike, or in any other setting of the problems immersing oneself to non-duality can give? So I, I do meet people who have read something like Tony Parsons' books or something, and it's a bit of a, a hard thing to download, right? And they, they get they get <laughs> they take on a rather unusual set of concerns about like, oh yeah, I'd like to like change this about myself, but no, I should embrace myself as I am, and I don't know what to do now. It's like I want to I want to get like move on in life or i want to get something like enlightenment but then i've got to accept my thoughts as they are but i don't like my thought and i see people in a muddle over this contradiction is that something i know it's it's a thin end of the wedge kind of problem but do you do you encounter that or yeah yes and no um and it's an it's an interesting thing because that model uh the people that have read the books that, that, you know, as I was, there's a total muddle because the, the mind kind of gets it on one level uh, or not. You know, it's quite an extreme message uh, to even to even allow in to download that there's no one there. Um, uh, although you could read a book, you could read a book by a neuroscientist that would say the same thing. And there are plenty, um, you know, 
anyway, um, the model is the thinking about it, you know. Um, and the, maybe one of my problems was that because I'd abandoned practices, because there's no practice that's going to lead you to no self here and now, um, I was not really engaging with methods to switch off that muddle. And the muddle is the problem. It's the mind that's the problem. Uh, I've been saying sometimes, you know, everything in the whole universe is enlightened apart from that thought that says, no, this isn't it, you know. And if you can just turn down that thought through something like as simple as breath awareness, immersing yourself in nature, or just whatever, suddenly you're without that one tiny apparent obstacle telling you that you're not. You know, everything is here, everything is revealing itself to you, the whole universe is the guru, you know, you could walk in the forest and the trees and the grass, it's all showing you here and now, here and now, here and now. Uh, it's just that story in your head, no, no, this isn't it. So if you can turn that thought down through a practice, what I found is that the people that have no idea about non-duality and move deeper into, say, mindfulness practice, you know, deeper states of, of practice, they will report merging. And it's not, it's non-terrifying merging. Uh, sometimes I will tell them what that is, you know, and sometimes I won't say that that's anything, only that they enjoy feeling like the whole universe is taking place within them. And they'll say, wow, I didn't know that was possible, but that's very nice. I don't want to scare them off, you know. So it's interesting that the people that have a head filled of thoughts often stop the practices that would uh, get rid of those thoughts, which is the gateway to the the raw direct experience. You know, and I know in in, in mindfulness in Buddhism, you know, the Buddha called mindfulness the 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 direct path. And for years, I would think, no, any kind of practice is a long way round. But of course, you know, practice just involves you attending to your body and mind and your breath which are here and now which are expressions of the universe infinite awareness so you you are the direct path so anything that you do to uh submerge yourself within yourself is a non-dual practice you know it's a coming home isn't it and it's only the mind that kind of appears to take us away from home so actually i think you know basic practices can be can be gateways i mean maybe that's why we have them anyway mm. you know, just put the mind down that's what they say in zen put the mind down and what's there so yeah i meet people that are in a complete muddle they're in a quandary because they've read you know five million spiritual books and um, but then you come across people that have never read one book and they can get really into a certain practice and they'll report basically oneness So it's a kind of weaning off the mind, but that's the hard, that is the hardest thing, I think. And even, even when you have an awakening, you know, you can often try and understand it. You can try and build a framework around it. Then you can, you can then believe or identify that that's the correct way of talking about it. You know, you, you think that non-duality is a thing. It's not a thing. You know, there's no thing. There's just life happening. Call it what you will. It's both dual and non-dual. You know, there's nothing you could do that is outside of non-duality. Um, 
and as Nathan said, yeah, I just I wanted to say something as well, you know, like it is a total paradox. And the mind works in black and white, absolute and relative. It doesn't, it can't easily put together the middle ground, you know, that it's this and this. Mm. You know, that this is messy and beautiful, mm. that this is beautiful and sad, that this is God and uh hell together. Mm. Um but the other point, I, I wondered if we were also talking about integration, the kind of ongoing journey or practice of welcoming more and more and more and getting better at being with what is, mm. you know. Um, and that's it, that, that integration. And, you know, I think you can talk about levels of enlightenment, and people do. But in my, in my mind, the only thing that kind of... A, would make sense in terms of levels is how far it's been integrated into your experience of yourself. That would be the level, you know? Um, so the awakening just happens in a flash before it, you're one person with one worldview afterwards, you're no one and there's no worldview. Everything's open. Everything just is. Um, but then that's it. That in a way, in a way, that's when the work begins. Then you know, and um, what can you, what can you be with? What can you integrate? What needs to be felt? Because really, if it's a real awakening, the fearfulness falls away. So why wouldn't you revisit certain parts of yourself from that expansive understanding to bring it home? You know, so it's almost like you go after the parts of yourself that are still living in in uh, duality mode and rather than say oh well that's just it too which it is but it's a paradox that also needs to know that it's holy and divine mm -hmm. you know so there's a there's a total integration um all that uh, yeah that's that's my experience so far from you know 10 years later it's 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 a, a continuing integration and I've heard, I've heard someone say something like enlightenment is becoming one, becoming one person or something, which to me didn't sound very much like uh, enlightenment at all. But I, I like that quote now because it's emphasizing a different flavor of enlightenment. It's not running around saying, hey, there's no one here. There's nothing happening. I can do what I want. It's a very mature maturity of, of you know, realizing that... Um, yeah, it's bringing everything home. I'm just remembering a story. Um, a friend of mine told me he was running a non-dual, sort of a non-dual sort of spiritual group and had someone come along who was really into non-duality and was keen to report this at the start about how like he'd get on fine with the group, it'd all be a breeze to him because he's like been to all these different authors, he's been to the non-dual thing for years, he was well aware there was no one there in the group anyway. So it was all good. And then um, a woman walked in who was essentially the complete opposite. It was like, I've a complete mess. I've just like, I've had all this terrible stuff happen recently. And, you know, marriage is broken down. I've lost the house. The, the dog's not talking to me. All, all this kind of thing. I don't know if I can, you know, I don't know if I'm in the right place. I don't know if I can cope with this, but I need to just do something. And it's okay. So, you know, you'd think you'd be more concerned about the latter than the former there, right? Um, but my friend running the group 
um, did a meditation and then said, at the end of this, we might just try an eye-gazing exercise. And he said all he heard was the door slam as the non-dual guy ran out of it. Right, <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> in spite of the, um, the whole consciousness thing, the whole sort of non-dual thing he'd been into, the, the idea of looking in someone's eyes and making eye contact with another human being, that was just like, no way. Um, and the, the lady at the end of it, who'd had so much trouble, came, st stayed to the end and said, oh, that was like the best thing. That was exactly what I needed to do. I just I feel human again. Um, and that, that was a, you know, an in, I think it's an interesting story about, I, I don't, almost don't doubt the, uh, the gentleman's immersion into that non-dual thing. I can relate to that, but it's coupled with a, like an unwillingness to be with oneself almost. To, to be present and what is that uncomfortableness I feel there there's all that's part of it too but but what is it what was is there a draw to look at that what's going on beneath the surface of it but I always say it's it's a rebirth so you know uh in the in the first I don't know how long it could be years but there's you're on a high you're on a the whole world is brand new you're brand new um but the, it's like you're like a toddler. You're like a toddler again, in a sense. And so, you know, even that person you mentioned may have had a genuine flash of awakening, but they're still a toddler. If it's fresh, they're still a toddler and things can scare a toddler, you know, and you have to cut, you have to grow up again. And, and maybe the shame is not the shame really, but you know, Chogyang Trungpa said enlightenment's the ego's ultimate disappointment. Because you kind of just return to being just a normal person, an ordinary human being, fully integrated, fully no one, yet fully someone, without any contradiction, no free will, and yet free to do whatever you want to do, you know, knowing there's no one to save, and yet full of heart for people, you know. But I think that's just, you know, you can get scared off initially by, yeah, you can get scared off. Because um, you're growing up again, you're growing up again, you know. <clears throat> and I wonder if in that example what I wonder because you might make like have an idea of why that guy left but you know it could have been was it was it the depth of life non-dual life that is present in someone else's eyes that scared that guy away or was it being with another person so intimately that scared that you know another another being in a separative sense being with another separate being that was so scary or was it yeah being with the that underlying life itself that was so scary and we we don't know do we we don't know what it was that was that was that was um that chased that guy out the door <laughs> sure i'm not judging i've seen other people do it who don't have that non-dual kind of thing going on who have just become overwhelmed with with eye contact it's fine right it's perfectly uncomfortable something you should step back from it i'm not really judging the guy i'm just using it you know using an example because i think it's interesting about what non-duality is and what it isn't it's it, you know i don't i don't doubt or want to um discredit his report of himself that he had been into you know all this stuff and maybe that had provided a foundation right but the, i think the word there is foundation you know, like, um, there can remain a, a discomfort with um, all sorts of things that arise in the psyche in human relations. And 
yeah, whilst I'm really a, a supporter of this uh, philosophical outlook, you know, I, I do, I suppose, recognise in the movement also that it, it can become a form of escapism from that, that looking then, looking at what is within ourselves. Mm. Yeah, I've noticed the tendency in myself to to like being with what is when what is 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 pleasant you know it's 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 like and i i feel like yeah again like what is is it's the it's the wholeness of what is that's a it's a it's an unsaid thing it's a it's what is is what is it's not the words what is and and yet for me i found my my what is is often a concept not a reality and so i want to be with what is but i want to be with what is in just the way i want it to be and it's so it's so many so many pitfalls along the way and it's and this is it's a very nuanced thing all this that we're discussing isn't it? it's hugely nuanced maybe one more question for both of you um and then you're welcome to say anything else you wish to ask each other questions ask you know talk about cells but i'm just curious to know do you feel that your immersion in this philosophy has affected the way you look at other seemingly separate parts of life okay like um so i notice it in myself in approaching questions just as an example recently did an interview on poverty and the continued existence of poverty in our technologically advanced world and why is that and i notice people you know come at this question um with different approaches okay and for my own approach i'm drawn to like exactly what i just said like the why is that okay if like well if we really 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 understand we don't do anything initially but just look right at where is it coming from why is it there what's underlying it what are the structures underpinning it that to me seems to be the best way to address it. And I noticed the comparison there to like, well, yeah, I've been invested in this non-dual philosophy, which is very about this non-interference looking, okay, and resolution through just observation, right? So my initial reaction is not like up the foreign aid budget, it's to just become clear on what is and a, pro and a, a solution will emerge from that what isness. And I wondered, do you, do you see that in other aspects of your life when you're like, raising children or um i don't know playing sport doing whatever at your any jobs hobbies activities anything that you can that you haven't exactly sat down and planned out how to approach this in a non-dual way but that non-duality in some sense that way of looking at the world just infuses into it yeah totally it's observation and action come to mind when you say that the observation i.e the the if you're gonna if i'm gonna stick a label on it it's the non-dual state the, the observing what's what's present and action based on that observation the dualistic response and i think in all whatever topic it is whatever area of life it is if i'm lacking observation then my action suffers and if i'm not acting on my observation then the suffering as well and so to me, that just brings it all back again to this necessity for integration, this, um, this, this need to both observe, to kind of expand into this space of observation, and then the, the action somehow can be more efficient and more 
focused and more uh, effective. Mike, any thoughts? Um, well, I love, yeah, I just love what Nathan's just said. Um, I mean, the, as you were just kind of asking that question, what, what comes to mind is the word trust that just comes to mind. I mean, that's, I would say that since, since you know, since this um, experience, whatever we're going to call it, shift, uh, there's just been a kind of effortless trust. It's not, I don't walk around with a philosophy in my head. I don't walk around with much in my head, to be honest. Um, but there's just a kind of trusting and, and kind of going with the flow of things. Um, but that doesn't mean everything is correct and everything works out. I mean, just because life doesn't do that. Uh, and, and not to say either that just because you have some kind of awakening, you're not like plugged into what the universe wants to ha wants to happen through you like you know like you you can't go wrong you're infallible because you know what you are or what the universe is or something um no you're still a person you know uh living in a world and you're in relationship and that's never easy you know um so you know i'm, I'm married I, I i'm very busy i've got two small children you don't suddenly realize how to be with all that stuff when you have some kind of awakening, you know, unless you knew it before maybe, which I didn't. So I'm just, uh, I'm just, I'm just trusting. And sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes I'm the idiot and sometimes I'm not. And that is a big, a big, uh, teaching to me. Sometimes I, I, I'm stubborn and I think, well, I don't, I don't want to change this. You know, this is okay from my perspective. And other times I realize that, well, it's just my perspective and I'm capable of um, withdrawing that or enlarging it or replacing it. So this is like the real nitty gritty. You know, if I was just living in a cave, then that's it. Just hanging out in a cave. It is a, as it is, but I'm not. And I not only do I obviously have a family, I work uh, with people and I'm aware that for myself, um, and this, again, I'm aware because often people have pointed it out rather than uh, I've become aware myself, because we have our blind spots that maybe relating to people and relationships isn't my strong point. I mean, maybe it isn't with everybody, but it's just not something, you know, I come from a fairly disparate family. So that's echoed down in the way I am with people, you know. So, so with me, there's a paradox where, you know, I, I, I literally fall in love with people. Just, I just love them, you know, not romantically, but just, I love them because of who they are and what they are. And, you know, when you see that people are holy and divine and precious and fragile, it's just heartbreaking. But at the same time, that doesn't always pour through just because of my personality, you know, it's quite, it's colder, it's more detached. You know, this is someone that's done a lot of meditation. There's a kind of detachment. So, I get, yeah, like Nathan, you know, you observe, uh, you try to, then you act, or you try to. And, but it's, it's all work. It's all work now, you know. And I'm happy to say it's work. And I, you know, rather than, oh, it's just happening. Yes, yes, it's just happening. But within that just happening is me as Mike the person trying to um, 
bring forth uh, the depth of my own understanding, which is ever growing and ever changing as well. So in a sense, it's like nothing's even changed. <laughs> like what was the point? So in a sense, it's like nothing's changed, but somehow it's all so so easy now to let things just change and rattle and roll and rather than when you think you're a fixed human person you'll put the brakes on any change you know don't want things to change i don't want to change myself uh that's all torn away now so there's more for yeah flowing with life but that doesn't mean it's easy can i can i step in with a question mike like so if if um life is flowing in a direction that you're not it doesn't it doesn't feel right and mm. how do you respond in that my I, I suppose my first response is the sheer the sheer, <laughs> the sheer <laughs> fact that i don't know what i'm doing like that i don't know mm. and to trust the don't know because you know especially with children you think well, i should know but uh, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read a manual. And if it doesn't come through, then I, I, I don't want to falsify something. I'm just left with the honest fact that I don't know what to do. Hmm. And, and then I'll either just kind of wait for something to pour through or, or you just do the best you can. You just do what appears to be the right thing. Um, yeah, but often, and I would say in a lot of my life, the, the response is, is an honest, I don't know. Hmm. Rather than, oh, I know. Oh, I know, because there's no one here and this is just happening. No. Hmm. It's just like, I don't know. And that can be emotional, like a, like a real sadness, I don't know. Or it can be a very freeing, I don't have to know. Hmm. Um, but for me anyway, that's just what comes up. And I think that's a very grounding thing and it's a very real especially in a family situation that's a very real thing because then you're open again yeah you know, i'm open to, to to be pointed out something that maybe i wasn't doing or maybe i could do better of which there are many things and then and then trying to as you say uh accept that and act upon it hmm. you know turn it into action rather than just a thought or something but yeah, yeah, honestly, that's, that's mostly my uh, response is just this, I don't know. Mm. So it's a beautiful, beautiful um, point from which to operate because, I mean, knowledge is very important in, in the world, isn't it? It's, uh, knowledge is, is, we pay people for their, the amount of knowledge they can offer in a certain sphere of the world. And, and so we kind of, I think, that idea that the place, the point of view of knowledge coming from a point of view of knowledge is better than coming from a point of view of not knowing is ingrained in our minds in a societal sense, in a dualistic sense. But actually, just as you said that, that at that point where we can say, I don't know, I've, 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 I've looked and I've found many things, but I don't know. Then it's like, there's, then we can operate, right? Then we can, then we can, we're coming from a point of of a greater field of of openness rather than restricted into our body of knowledge uh which which 
may be useful in dualistic circumstances to have a body of knowledge but when we're sort of looking at the the bigger picture of things that that um body of knowledge may be a, a f limiting framework mm -hmm. uh yeah mm. and then just if you don't mind just to kind of throw the question back you know for you as well when something doesn't feel right or there's a tension around it or, or something mm. again you know how do you how do you proceed what what uh yeah get frustrated and kick a few things <laughs> well, also, we do the same thing then yeah okay <laughs> that's that's i've noticed i've noticed myself recently getting frustrated with with little little things which is a big indicator to me that i'm not um observing enough or acting enough in 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 the in the framework i just sort of we we're just talking about mm. so but really if i'm if i'm to answer that question properly yeah re reflect and act accordingly i think reflect and act accordingly and something about the non-dual realization being like for me it's always been a, a light rather than a i know some for some it's a light for some it's a, an absence an emptiness um and for me it's like a spotlight and so it if i can kind of bring my attention back to that spotlight it makes that light a bit brighter and that that then i can negotiate the feeling realm the the worldly realm from a point of it will be in a bit clearer <laughs> so yeah the clarity the importance of finding that clarity of the of the uh, the non-dual, and I'm aware that I made that action just then because often I do place it in my mind outside myself because myself seems like a limited being, and and so there's, it's nice to have this idea of it being up there or out there, even though I know it's directly mm. within an upwelling and mm. the light which shines on all experiences. But yeah, experiences, whatever they are, there's a there's a a greater ability to see them and deal with them if I've given myself time for meditation, for yoga, for awareness. Yeah. And should we turn that on Richard now? Yes, let's. <laughs> <laughs> What's going through my mind is just first to acknowledge that, yeah, this does happen, right? Because, I mean, non-duality aside, I'm 35 now. I'm 36 in about a week's time. So... I would have thought it would all be calming down now, right? And there'll be less of these things happening where I just go, what's this about, you know? But um, not the good, well, in some ways, you get more of a handle on life the more you live it. But, you know, to my surprise, there are still these things that arise, big things that are like, I have no idea, right? I mean, this seems like a total curveball. Um, it seems to completely contradict my understanding of everything I thought about life so far. And I'm stuck. And... It seems to me that's like the nature of life. And I draw on this kind of perennial philosophical view to explain that we, we occupy one point of awareness within a greater whole. Okay. And so I see the world a certain way. And in doing so, it locks me out from seeing it another certain way, which is at a different point in this whole. But that's me also. So at some point, that point 
comes seeking me out and I seek it out and we become locked together because there's a part of me that wants that and a part of that that wants me, but on a more surface level, that's the last thing I want, right? And I'm the last thing it wants, but we get locked together and this can happen. I think it, it manifests for people in all sorts of different ways. So, you know, people who are philosophical but not so good at career or money have to get locked into that kind of thing or um, people aren't so good at relating get locked into something where they have to talk to a lot of people or uh, oftentimes romantic relationships and people get put together with people and it's like why can't I be with someone who's more like me who just understands the world I the way I see it but you're, you're with someone who's has a different perspective and it, I, I see it occurring in all sorts of different places in life that life wants us to know the bit of ourselves we're not inherently in touch with and um yeah, much like Nathan, my initial reaction is to get frustrated and hit and kick things because it is like I, I think that maybe that's a natural. Let's just see if I can shake this off. Let's see if I can get away from it. Let's not, you know, let's see if life really wants me to embrace this part of myself before I do, right? Because if, if I could kind of get away with it, I probably would. I probably wouldn't go there. Um, but when it feels like there is, it, it feels like the, the movement away comes from a more sort of superficial place in me not a bad place but more about my plan for my life and what i think i'm doing next and then the deeper pull um is towards it and it feels when, when i see that yeah i seem to be locked into this thing and i can acknowledge that there is a deep pull within me to this situation that i'm finding quite frustrating then i think it's just to be with it and sink into myself and and say okay why what is this what, what's the pull here what what on earth does this show me about myself and that can be that's what I say about the non-duality being a foundation, right? Because it's not like I sit and meditate for five minutes and, oh, all the answers are clear now. It, that, that can be something that goes on potentially for years because we as humans are a, a point of light, a point, a perspective on the whole. We're not embracing the whole within our limited human experience. So the human journey to do that can be immense. And all I can do is return to that not knowing, that mystery, and dwell in that with what's arising and in its own time, in its own way, insight seeps through and it starts to become easier. And then the most difficult experiences in life then transform to the richest experiences too. So that's, that's my answer. It's probably similar to, to your own there. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. It's, it makes me think of all the things that are, that are frustrating in, in life as well. They're just, they're the means through which we have this journey. If we didn't have these, this, there's this phrase that we all become Buddhas in the end, right? We all, we all, we all become enlightened in the end. And if that's the case, then all these difficulties that we encounter that might you, you said people come to you and ask, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you feel this? How do you come to this state of being and, and all this stuff about turning thoughts down? That's, that's, that's so important in coming into this this state of um, the non-dual, and yet, even when we've had glimpses of it and we feel these these uh, frustrations arise again, part of in, part of what we talked about in embracing, if we can see those frustrations, not just embrace them because people tell them tell us that it's good to embrace them, but if we can embrace them because we know that they are the fuel by which we have a journey of experience towards uh, on our journey towards buddhahood then those frustrations somehow 
can be included because we've un we've understood them as necessary somehow we've understood that they are not to be avoided as much as we want to avoid them yes mm. mm. yeah that's they're, you're saying like they are their invitations they are gifts they they're logs for the fire their fuel yeah <clears throat> not just not just solid problems in and of themselves mm. they are yeah they're invitations and what even just uh, even just to acknowledge personal frustrations as invitations to work with you know if you just had that perspective on life mm. you know yeah nothing could, stand, nothing could stand against you mm. you know because what would it whatever stands against you is then taken as something to be uh worked with and felt into then there's no you stand unopposed and that's the one yeah. the one is unopposed <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> Yeah. Okay, gentlemen, we're approaching our kind of time limit anyway, and that sounds like a good place to conclude. Any final thoughts, or are we? Are we... I've got a final thought. We should get Nathan back a bit more regularly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm happy. It's a good time. I'd, I'd love. I'd love for us to have more three-way conversations. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm, yeah. I'm up for that anytime. Um, yeah, and just, just to settle into this sort of new medium of exchange for me it's like yeah it's it's because i think it's really important stuff that we're talking about in relation to our our own our own lives and what's happening in humanity yeah no I, I could definitely do it again i'm 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 biting my tongue to not talk about frustration at the moment because i think it's too much for this so that you know there's lots of things that we could talk about yeah yeah I, I have more i can say right now so and more I could ask you. So great. So okay. Until then, thank you very much, Mike. Thank you very much, Nathan. And thank you. We'll see thank you. you soon. Thank you, Nathan. Mm, lovely to see you both. Thank you very I'll much. See you. Bye. <laughs>